trust and obey is a very, very common term that we use. It's from an old hymn, and it sums up much of the theology of sanctification. It's amazing to me over the years as a pastor studying the scriptures, studying the scriptures, you know, what does it come down to our walk with God in our growth with him in overcoming sin and temptation? It is simply this trust and obey. Of course, there's more to it than that. And we're going to begin there this morning and we're going to end there this morning as well. Um, This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, just three verses, three verses in the first verse, verse 12, basically says, therefore, let him who takes heed, uh, let him who thinks he stand, take heed that he does not fall. Very simple verse. It's, it's an idea, it's a, it's a verse that many people, even in our own culture, unbelievers would recognize that. They wag their finger and say, let him who thinks he stands. And it's one of those things that has made its way into our American culture. The second verse that we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians 10.13. You should know it. I hope you know it. I hope you have it memorized. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure. But most Christians haven't paid attention to the fact that this verse follows the injunction, take heed that you do not fall. There is a warning and then there is a promise. Um, Most Christians need to, to, to take note of that, that we are to take heed that we do not fall, but at the same time we are given what God gives to us when we come to to temptation. The third verse is a very simple verse. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Most don't realize that the context of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is the sin that Paul is saying to avoid of idolatry. That's what we've been talking about since chapter 8, verse 1. And so specifically when when the scriptures say no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man, Paul is dealing with idolatry. I just quoted the verses to you, but I hope you have your Bibles, a copy of God's word. We are going to read the three verses together. And so would you stand with me as we read together 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12, 13 and 14, the word of God. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, Flee from idolatry, and God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Father, we ask your blessings on the reading of your word, its power, that it is alive and active, that it is the means by which you sanctify us. For that we turn this morning in utter dependence upon the word of God that proceeds from your mouth, for we do not live by bread alone. And we ask that we would be fed from the bread of heaven this morning 
to be more like the Son of God. These things we pray in his precious and his holy name. Amen. Context of 1 Corinthians 10.13 is eating meat, sacrificed idols. I believe Paul had already given them the answer when he first came to Corinth and he taught them for a year and a half with the apostolic preaching that came from the Jerusalem council in Acts 15 that says this, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from such things, you will do well. That was the that was the, the sum total of the Jerusalem Council to the churches, all the churches. And Paul would have taught that to the Corinthians. Now, the Corinthians, after Paul left, they wrote back, and remember Paul began uh, some chapters ago saying, now concerning the things that you wrote to me. And the Corinthians most likely wrote back and said, okay, we got this. We're not supposed to eat things sacrificed to idols. But why? Why not? I mean, you have said, Paul, yourself, that, uh, we're, that, that Christianity is built upon freedom. It was the foundation of Paul's teaching. Grace, we are not bound by the law. We have freedom to do all things. Everything has been made clean. And so for the Corinthians, that was their point of view. Well, it's only food. It's only drink. And so what is the big deal? Why can't we eat meat sacrificed to idols? There's only one God. Paul gave them an example in chapter 8, the example that of the misuse of their liberty. They thought, well, if we just go to the temple and we eat, we're not really sacrificing to, to idols. But Paul said, but if a weak believer sees you, it might be their spiritual ruin. Your freedom, so-called, might be their ruin. And then he gave the example of himself, the proper use of liberty in chapter 9, how, yes, he's free to do many things, but he doesn't use that freedom to spend on himself. His freedom was for the sake of the gospel, and he did all things for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes he curtailed his own freedom as a sacrifice for the sake of Christ. And he, he ended that chapter with saying, I press on and I, and I, I buffet my body and I discipline myself lest I be disqualified. In chapter 10, verses 1 through 11 that we began last week, he gave the example of the Israelites who were disqualified. Though they had many spiritual advantages like the Corinthians, they fell into idolatry and all the attendant sins, craving evil, immorality, grumbling and complaining, putting Christ to the test, and they were severely disciplined for it, and their bodies were strewn in the wilderness. So this morning, the warning and the means by which the sin of idolatry is avoided, and we'll, we'll see, of course, that there is an application to all sins. So how do we overcome the temptation to the sins of idolatry? That's what we're asking this morning. And all we are saying is this. Temptation to sin is overcome by humility and obedient trust in the faithfulness of God. If you leave here this morning and that's all you leave with, that's all I'm telling you. 
and this is what we want you to apply in your life. Temptation to sin is overcome by humility and obedient trust in the faithfulness of God. So we're going to break it down. How do we overcome the temptations of sins of idolatry? How do we overcome them? And the first is found in verse 12, through vigilant humility. Vigilant humility. Verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Again, a a verse that people recognize, let him who thinks he stands... And that's what he's talking about here. But remember the context. Paul ties this to the the previous story that we looked at last week. And verse 11 was, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Verse 12 is the lesson from the example of the fall of the Israelites in the wilderness. They failed and they were severely punished. The Corinthians were in danger of doing the same. And so it is a lesson for us as well. Notice how Paul uh, individualizes this. He's been talking about all of them and the Israelites. But here he says, let him who thinks he stands. he's, He's appealing to each of them individually, and we must accept this as an individual um, warning as well. And Paul says, if anyone thinks he stands, he needs to watch out. If he could fall, as he said at the end of chapter 9, I I do this thing lest I am disqualified, how much more then could the Corinthians fall and disqualify themselves from the Christian life? Let him who thinks he stands is all about humility, isn't it? Because it's a point of pride, the one who thinks that I've got it wired. The, the Corinthians think, uh, oh, we're fine. We're, we're not going to have any problems. They are sure of themselves. But then so were the Israelites, right? And the Corinthians were proud in their spirituality. They thought that they were even some of them were more spiritual than Paul. And he probably directs this comment to those who ate at idols' temples these who, the, who are the people who had this confidence of nothing bad's going to happen. What's the, what's the problem, Paul? They minimized their involvement, and they were trusting in their own spiritual privilege as Christians, their own baptism, participation in the Lord's table. We're fine, Paul. Leave us alone. But their trust was misplaced. In what sense might one fall? Here... Of course, the broader application is any sin. You could fall to any sin. But here, the falling is the the falling to the sin of uh, the temptation of idolatry. The reason that they were to watch out and pay attention was so that they would not fall like those who went before them. He'd just given them that strong illustration. And the Corinthians were saying, we would never fall to the sin of idolatry. Hmm. For us... For all of us, never say never, right? Never say never. We should never be so proud as to say, I would never do such a thing, because you might do such a thing. If you don't watch out, if you're not watching out for yourself, if you are not paying attention, if you have become proud 
in your spirituality, in all that you have, in your privilege. Never say never. Just as the wilderness was strewn with the bodies of those who said, we would never do such a thing, so is church history. Strewn with the shipwrecked lives of those who say, said, I would never cheat on my wife. I would never embezzle. I would never lie, cheat, steal. I would never gamble away my life savings. I would never compromise my integrity. I would never turn on my brother in Christ. I would never compromise the truth. Never say never. Why? Because any Christian is capable of any sin. Including yours truly. That's why Paul says, the one who thinks he stands better watch out that he does not fall. When he says that he does not fall includes the possibility that one might fall. So any Christian is capable of any sin and it's wise, it is wise for us to have a healthy fear of sin and a healthy fear of temptation. It's wise for us to realize our frailty and our fallibility and our mortality, that we are but dust, and sinners will do what sinners do, and we are bent that way were it not for the indwelling Christ who lives in us and the promises that we have. So be careful and be diligent. Be diligent in your humility. Take heed. Watch out. Be on the lookout. Look out for yourself. The, the Corinthians had this spiritual pride about them, and they trusted in everything rather than the cross of Christ. Remember chapters 1 through 4, how Paul just went after them, whole hog. You are so proud, and you're trusting in everything in the world except the cross of Christ and the gospel. This is an application of the, of the same principle here. So in general, we should never trust in the things of this world and the things in ourselves, in our own physical strength, in our own training, in our own intelligence, in our own experience, in our own education, in your own appearance, whatever it may be. We have a tendency to trust in those things, oftentimes good gifts that God has given to us. Maybe you have a sharp mind. Don't trust it, okay? Because it is not, foul, it is not infallible. Maybe you are winsome in your personality. Great. Don't trust in it, okay? That is not what God does and uses. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Don't trust your spiritual pedigree. My dad was a preacher. My grandpa was a preacher. I was baptized. It was a wonderful thing. I go to a church every Sunday and I partake of communion. That's what the Corinthians were doing. Young people particularly, do not trust in the faith of your fathers. Do not trust in the faith of your parents. You must find your own faith. And it is not enough to say, we go to church, mom and dad drag me every Sunday, they're believers, that we have, we're a Christian family. You must find your own faith. Don't trust just in your spiritual pedigree because pride goes before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling 
It is better to be humble in spirit and lonely than to divide the spoil with the proud. So, how do we overcome the temptation to sins of idolatry? We do that through vigilant humility. And by the way, we looked at idols last week. And though we're broadening the application this week in all sins, but almost... Almost every sin, every temptation is in some way a temptation to idolatry because an idol is anything that you you have affection more than God, you trust in more than God, you put before God, you raise up before God, whether it's yourself or something or some circumstance or another person. Whenever you raise that up, that becomes an idol. And when you think about just about any sin, whether it's, whether it's covetousness, whether it's anger, whether it's immorality, whether it is lying or stealing or cheating, whatever it is, you have raised up something above God because God is God and there is no God but God. And we must follow him in all of his commands. And when, whenever we do not, we have lowered him and raised something up in his place. The second Thing that helps us to overcome temptation to sins of idolatry is a confident trust. We see in verse 13, the familiar verse, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Yeah, let me just, uh, an application for all of you right here, just... Write it down because it's not in the overhead. I encourage you, I challenge you to memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 13, and 14. Memorize these three verses so that you have them in context, so that you have them at the ready. Sometimes 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is called the, the, the believer's assurance of victory, and indeed it is. It is the assurance of victory, confident trust. By this we mean a trust that is not in ourselves but in God. A trust in the faithfulness of God because he is always faithful. So this is a recognizable verse. And again, remember the, the, the context is about the sin of idolatry. But it is, it, it is, we can broaden it because I believe Paul does, even in his language where he says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, he broadens it to any kind of temptation, to all manner of temptation, specifically in context, the temptation to idolatry. But he expands it. And first we see this, that every trial, with every trial is temptation, and with every temptation there is a test. You see, the word trial... The word temptation is a Greek word that means to test or to tempt. And depending upon the context determines whether this is a, it's a, a test like a trial. Sometimes it's, it's uh, interpreted that way. Or is it a temptation? But here's the thing. With every temptation, excuse me, with every trial, with every trial that you go through, there is a temptation to sin. And with every temptation, there is a test. The test is, will you trust in God? He's testing you to see, will you believe in him, in his goodness, in his faithfulness, in his power, what he's provided? Say you have a financial test or a financial trial. What is the temptation there? The temptation could be to steal. 
The temptation could be to lie. The temptation could be to cheat. The temptation could be to do many things, to cut corners in your income taxes, all sorts of things, to fudge a little bit. So your, your trial is financial, but the temptation is some kind of sin related to that. What about relationships? You have a, a marriage problems, and you're having difficulty in your marriage. There's a temptation to anger. There's a temptation to bitterness. There's a temptation to adultery. There's a temptation to run away and divorce. There is always a temptation in the trial that we face. And what about health tem- tests? What about the trials of health? We have many people in our church that are going through severe health difficulties. Some are chronic and been theirs for many years. Some are are emergent and have just come up and they're very, very difficult. What is the temptation to sin in the trial of sickness? Questioning God's goodness. Questioning God's sovereignty. You must have made a mistake. Why would you do this? This makes no sense. Being angry with God. Think of Job. Job lost his family, most everything, and then he lost his health. What was the temptation for Job? Curse God and die. Just get it over with. Some of you may have felt that way sometimes in the severity of your health crisis. There is a temptation in that trial to question God's sovereignty. You must have made a mistake. This is not right. My God wouldn't do this. There are all sorts of questionings that we call into question his integrity, his goodness, his love, his concern, his control. Be faithful to him. But also recognize the temptation is not sin in itself. Temptation is not sin. James 1, 13 through 16 says this, and I hope you can see that. Yes, it's not bad. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Don't say that. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Don't blame God. Don't blame God when you are tempted. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. The product of conception of lust is this baby called sin. It's a bad thing. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth what sin always brings forth, which is death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. But the encouragement I want for some of you, because some of you have... um, a conscience that is very, very easy, and you, you think that, well, I had this thought in my mind, oh, I'm a horrible person because I had this thought. A thought that comes into your mind is not necessarily a sin. It's what you do with that thought. Or you are in, 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 in a place where, where you, you're vacillating between the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, and you almost made the wrong choice. You made the right choice. Don't think that you, by being there and by vacillating, you somehow were in sin. Be assured that temptation itself is not a sin. It's what you do with the temptation that becomes sin. And that's what we're talking about this morning. When you are tempted, what do you do with the temptation? And Paul tells us that you are not facing anything others have not. 
You are not facing anything others have not. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Overtaken you means you gave in to the temptation. You are not facing anything that is unusual. You can't claim that you alone had to face this thing. No one has ever been tempted like I was. No one else has. This is not true. And this removes the excuse from us of saying, well, no one could have endured that kind of temptation. It was too great for anybody. Well, that's not true. But what if I'm not able to resist? I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you can. There is no temptation that is too much. And there is always someone who has faced worse and has had victory. And first and foremost, that person is Jesus Christ. The one who did not sin, the one who could not sin, is the one that you trust in when you are tempted to sin. There is always someone who's faced less and they failed. But there is never anyone who has faced what others have not already faced. There's never anything new. There's nothing new under the sun when it comes to temptation. We all face the same kinds of sins and temptations. And so the answer is God alone is faithful. God alone is faithful. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. The faithfulness of God is the ultimate answer to temptation. Because we trust in the one who could not sin. God is faithful. That's the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is always him, isn't it? And the, the answer is always the, the nature and the character of God, not our nature and our character. If we focus upon that, we're always going to fall. The answer to all sin is the infinite, absolute character of God in his faithfulness. And here, the faithfulness of God is a point of practical theology. You must know theology in this sense that God's faithfulness is absolute. Because our understanding, as our understanding of God grows, we understand that through the Scripture, and because as our understanding of God grows, our faith grows, and so we more understand the faithfulness of God, the more faithful we will be. But it's about Him. Here are some verses that, that should just remind us and help us to bolster this idea of the faithfulness of God. Deuteronomy 7, 9 Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. He said this to the Israelites before, <clears throat> excuse me, before they were laid low in the wilderness because they didn't keep the covenant. His faithfulness was always available to them, but they, they blew it. 2 Timothy 2.13 <clears throat> Pardon me. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Uh, we, we could even read this when we are faithless, for we will be from time to time. But he never is faithless. He is always faithful because he cannot deny himself. It is what he is. God is faithful. God is love. God is holy. God is just. And faithfulness is what he is. First Thessalonians 5.24. I love this verse. 
Faithful is he who calls you. And he will bring it to pass. God is the one who calls you to salvation. God is the one who calls you to walk with him. God is the one who calls you in your walk with him to every single day. And he will bring you to the other side. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The Corinthians should have learned this. They made this, this good confession in the, in, in the presence of many witnesses and, and with communion they continued to do that. And yet they did not recognize the faithfulness of God. They should have been faithful to the faithful God. We should lay hold of that confession. And, and every time we partake of communion, it is a renewal of, of our understanding of the faithfulness of God and our hope in our trust in Him because He who promised these things to us is faithful. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, how Paul began the book of 1 Corinthians, God is faithful, he said, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In the verse right before that, um, Paul said this, We are eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship, and he will confirm us to the end. So because God is faithful, then for us, there is no temptation you cannot overcome. No, there is no temptation you cannot overcome. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is his common demand. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He is faithful to not allow you to fall if you trust in him. We have the promise and the assurance that God will help us to overcome sin at any time in any way, except that we are weak, except that we do not trust in him, or that we think that we stand in our pride, we will fall. But he will not allow us if we hold on to him as he holds on to us. And what he does then is he provides all you need to endure. He provides all you need. His faithfulness is enough and all that he gives to us. This is an encouragement like no other, I think. Of this we can be assured that He is the answer to not falling. Let him who thinks he stand take heed so that he does not fall. What's the answer? God's faithfulness that you not fall. He provides all that you need that you will not fall. He is the answer. In fact, apart from him, we will fall. We are already apt to fall. But when we exclude him, we are likely to fall. But he provides all that we need. What has what he provided? Here, here are a few things. We could go on with page after page after page of all that God has given to us. But you are the temple of God in, in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Paul has talked about that in, in chapter 3 and in chapter 6. The Holy Spirit lives in us. That, that, every time I talk about that, every time I think about it, my mind just explodes. Especially when you think of the Old Testament uh, manifestations of the holiness of God and His power and His glory, and He lives in us. 
corporately and individually, O believer. Isn't that enough? Isn't that sufficient? You have then the new nature because you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive together with Christ, and he made you new. The old things passed away, new things have come. You have the completed scriptures, like Paul said. We, well, last week, we had the, the scriptures given to us, and they've recorded these things, and we have what the Corinthians did not have, the full canon of scripture. What a time to be alive as a believer in the Lord God of heaven. You are complete in Christ, Colossians 2.10. What is there beyond completion? There's anything beyond completion? There's nothing else. You don't need to get more of Christ. There isn't something else after him. You don't add anything to Christ. He is sufficient in all things. You have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. 1 Peter 1.3 tells us, all things have been given to you to live a godly life. You don't lack anything. You might lack the will. You might lack obedience. You might lack faith. But in terms of raw tools, you have all that you need. And God is personally involved in your struggle against sin. Think about that. He doesn't just sit idly by and go, and, you know, I wonder what Ben's going to do. He's, he's being tempted. Is he going to go this way or is he going to go that way? I hope he doesn't give in. God doesn't do that. He is a participant in your obedience. He will confirm you to the end blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't promise that you won't be tempted. But he does promise that in any temptation, in every temptation that comes your way, you have all you need in him and all that he's given to you. A couple of lessons from this portion. What is common to man is all manner of temptation. What is common to God absolute faithfulness. You see the different ends of the spectrum from which we come. The common denominator for every one of us is every manner of temptation in the world. We're going to, to face those. But God is faithful. That's the one. I hate to even use the word common because his faithfulness is uncommon. It is absolute. It is infinite. So therefore our confidence must be completely in him and never in ourselves. We have the weakness of the flesh. We have the propensity to sin. We still struggle, as the writer of the Hebrews said, and you have not struggled against sin to the point of shedding blood. And it will be a struggle, but he gives us that in the ongoing battle. And the answer is always his faithfulness, that he will deliver us. So second of all, I encourage you to live an examined life. Live an examined life to know your own propensity to sin. What are the things, what are, what are your besetting sins? What are the things that so easily beset you? What are those sins that you face so that you understand your temptations? If you understand your temptations and you're thinking properly, you, you, you will be better to recognize when you are tempted because sometimes it's out of the blue and I didn't even realize what was coming. The Corinthians had a blind spot, didn't they? 
They thought they were proud. We can handle this. We're good. So ask God to show you blind spots. Ask God to show you your hidden faults. Psalm 19.12, who can discern his errors? Equip me of hidden faults. These are things you're hiding from him or things that are hidden from you. Presumptuous sins. Beware of subtle sins. Sins of the tongue. Sins of the heart. Sins of attitudes and affections. It's easy to say, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't rob a bank. I don't swear. I don't get drunk. I don't use drugs. I I should be okay. Beware. That's why it's important to have that time. And we should all have time in prayer where we allow God's Spirit to wash over us, to show us, Oh God, by your Spirit, show me my sin. Reveal it to me. Would you show to me the things of which I'm not even aware? Are there chinks in my armor? Are there blind spots, things that people look at me sometimes and I don't even recognize that I'm, I'm doing that? Ask your spouse. That's risky, I know, but your spouse is an instrument of God. Perhaps when you pray, you might, and I do this, and I encourage you to do this, review the previous day. Where did you go? What did you do? What were the decisions you made? To whom did you speak? What did you say? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? What was your attitude? What were your facial expressions? Where did you fail? Were you rebellious? Were you angry? Did you gossip? Did you eat too much? Did you drink too much? Did you, were you given to lust? Ask God and review that whole day. It doesn't take very long. It's, it's a, an interesting exercise. Believe me, I encourage you to do so. And with that, beware of always seeing. When you read the Bible, when you listen to a sermon, that you're always seeing the application in someone else. I hope she's listening. I wish they were here today. This sermon was just for them. And I, saw, I know sometimes when you listen to a sermon, you think that the, the, the preacher is talking exactly to you, but sometimes we do the opposite and we go, I hope he's listening over there because this is directed. No, it's not. we don't direct it at anybody. Look at yourself. And whenever in God's kindness, he makes you aware of your sin, And it is a kind thing that he does so. Humbly admit that it is wrong. Turn from it in repentance. And accept the forgiveness of a gracious and loving Heavenly Father because he is compassionate. He knows your frame. He knows that you're given to this. He does not condone it in any way, but he does forgive it when we acknowledge it as sin. You know, there are two sides to this verse. It is very comforting to know that when we are tempted, we have all that we we need, right? God is faithful. He's not going to be tempted beyond what I'm able. Um, it's, It's a common sin that everybody faces, so I'm in good company. And he will provide the way for me to say no to that sin. That's very comforting. But it is also convicting because when we do fall, we have no one to blame but ourselves right? Because he said, I gave you everything. I did it again. It's 
convicting because he warns us that when we fall to sin, we must, and we alone, must take responsibility for it. We can't blame our spouse, our kids, our boss, President Biden, whomever. You can't blame anyone. Sin is our sin. But God is faithful to forgive us. Lastly, in verse 14, how do we overcome temptation to the sins of idolatry? Through an unrelenting obedience. An obedience that is persistent, that is tenacious. Being diligent in obeying him because he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So Paul returns to the context. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation to overtake in you. God is faithful. You may be able to endure it. Therefore, flee idolatry. This is a command. This is the second command in just a few sentences because back in verse 7, not when last week we looked at, he said, do not be idolaters. And now he says, beloved brethren, flee it. Run away. The idea is perhaps that some of them might have fallen back into idolatry. And he's hitting them hard, just like he was back in chapter 4, but he softens it with the reality that they are his beloved children. Oh, my beloved. He really wants to help them. He really wants the best for them. But they need truth. They need truth. Chapter 8, Paul warned them that this cavalier attitude that they had might cause the spiritual ruin of another. Now he's warning them that it might be their own spiritual ruin, those who think that they stand. You know, there are some sins that we just need to run away from. And this is a command. Keep on fleeing idolatry. Just run away from it. Stop it now. Keep on fleeing from it. And there's some sins like immorality. In fact, uh, back in chapter 6, Paul was talking about immorality. And the bottom line was, therefore, flee immorality. He's been talking about idolatry. Therefore, he says, flee idolatry. And there's some sins we just need to remove ourselves from the temptation itself. And probably... Probably Paul had in mind those who were going to the idol temple just to have dinner. He said, don't even go close. I'm I'm an alcoholic, but I keep a little vodka in the house for medicinal purposes. Right? That's a beautiful cake. I'm going to just put it on my table for when people come by to visit. They will see, what a beautiful cake. If you have a problem with such things. If you struggle with pornography, men and women, because it's not just a, a male thing, but you, you think you're strong enough to go to that one website just to check out a few things, let him who thinks he stands. Or, you know, my, my boyfriend who treated me badly, he just wants to hang out. It couldn't be too bad, right? I remember as a new believer, there were people I could not be around. Friends that have been friends for a long time. They were not good for me. I had to make new friends. I had a new life. Sometimes there are people. Sometimes there are places you shouldn't go to. Sometimes there are things that you should not have or buy. 
There are circumstances you should not find yourself in. Flee it. When you are tempted, it's, you know, on a computer, you can take a window and you can resize it. You grab it and, you know, just resize it like that. When you are being tempted, there is this window of opportunity that God provides. And it is ever resizing smaller and smaller and smaller. And the longer that you vacillate, the greater chance that you're not going to fit through that window of escape. So dive through the window. Flee through it. Armed with this warning and this promise, Paul commands the Corinthians to flee from the sin of idolatry that is the current temptation. And again, with us, it could be many things. So the conclusion, how do we overcome temptation to the sins of idolatry? Temptation to the sin to sin is overcome by humility and obedient trust in the faithfulness of God. We have a warning in verse 12. We have a promise in verse 13. And we have a command in verse 14. Or to put it more simply, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Will you pray with me? God, we're grateful for your kindness to us. And I pray, pray for those who are in some sort of trial right now and the temptation that they face. And as a shepherd, I am so encouraged to have a week where I spoke with numerous people that have faced health challenges and relationship challenges and they're choosing to lay hold of your faithfulness in spite of the odds, in spite of the circumstances. How encouraging that is to see the people of Valley Bible Church responding in faith to your gracious, good and faithful character. May we all do that this morning. May we trust and obey for there is no other way. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.